in humility now and our lives and our experience. We think of all of the times down throughout the years when we've wanted to get even with somebody, pin them with a spear. And we offer you our experience that you may speak gently to us this morning about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And in doing so, I ask that I might not condemn myself in any way. So Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to you. Would you please speak in your kindness and in your mercy? Amen. Amen. Please be seated, everybody. If you'd pull the PowerPoint up, if you would please, Rachel, thank you very much. Matt will be absolutely horrified by that, because Matt's very artistic and it's not very clear. I just found an original bit of Saul's garment here. This is the original bit when he went into the cave to relieve himself. So I just took a photo of it, Matt, and pinned it up there, and you can correct me on all the artistic sensibilities of it later on. So, so here you have... We're about 1,000 BC. Yes, this really is 3,000 years ago. And um, you have David fleeing Saul. You have, we're in the book of 1 Samuel, for those of us who are guests here this morning, don't know where we're at. So this is the story about, that leads us into the rise of Israel's golden age. King David is about to take the throne and his son um, Samuel, no, Solomon, <laughs> Solomon, thank you very much. I knew we were going with this, is the man who uh, really led Israel in their golden age. And David, the future king, is being pursued by the past king. And um, Saul comes so close to killing David, he had no idea that he went in to relieve himself in this cave. His 3,000 men were outside. I got it the wrong way round. I thought I'm going to do that this morning. I can feel it's going to be one of those days. Hang on a second. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. David was in there already. Saul's 3,000 men were outside, had been pursuing David for a good few years at this point. And Saul had no idea how close he came to killing David. And the ratio, you got... Hang on a second. No, 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 you're not with me. I'm not leading. Saul had no idea actually how close he was to bumping David off. That's what I wanted to say. He was so close. He was within a hair's breadth of finding David, who was in the back of the cave. Him and his... I was right, you see. (laughs) Don't touch the Lord's anointed, I say. Yeah. I actually said that as I came through this morning. I had my two cups of milk and said, excuse me, Lord's anointed coming through. Nobody got the joke or found it very funny, but Jesus and I did. Saul had no idea how close he actually came to finding the man that he was pursuing with his 3,000 men against David's 600. A bit of an unfortunate ratio there. They're in the same cave together. Saul's men are just outside. This is an opportunity It's an opportunity for many things. Do you remember the word that Tony or Sylvia brought a few months ago about God meets us in extremists? In situations of extreme tension and stress, it's always an opportunity to encounter God in one way or another. There are multiple opportunities going on here. Yeah, this is an opportunity actually to kill David. Had it been slightly different, it would have been David's death at this time. This is an opportunity, now you're with me, for David to kill Saul. Sneaky. They had no scissors in those days. This is cut with my extra pair of sharp scissors. But 
how do you sneak up to somebody while they're having a quick pee and with your sword cut off the hem of their garment? I mean, real, this is stealth stuff, this is. This is an opportunity to reveal hearts, an opportunity to reveal Saul's heart, which was the corrupt thing here, and an opportunity to reveal David's heart and his quality and why this man deserves to be king and is going to be king and all situations of extremists and tension and stresses reveal our hearts, don't they? And our, everything is an opportunity to come closer to God or further away from him. The New Testament word that's used is everything is a stumbling block. The word is scandalon in the Greek. Do you know that? You know, a stumbling, something you can stumble over or we know that it's also a stepping stone that you can get closer to God. You can understand why Saul is on the way out. David is on the way in in God's agenda here. God meets us in extremis. For David's men, it's an opportunity to kill Saul. That's what they see. For David, it's a test whether he takes them at their word. This is what the Lord is saying today. Kill him and sort it out. They make out that it, well, they might have thought it was a genuine word from the Lord. For David's a test as to whether to take their word or to test their word and apply higher New Testament principles. That's the difference. Saul is Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with brutality. Let's be honest about it. David lives a thousand years before Jesus. He lives like a man in the New Testament. He calls on God's grace. He knows God's love. And he operates by higher principles. It would have seemed logical to kill Saul. Go on, get even. Get the crown. Kill him. Vengeance is yours. And they said to him, this is the day about which God said, I will give your enemy into your hands to do as you wish. Translation problem there. It's either this is the day or today is the day that God is saying, I will give your enemy into your hands. And seeing as we can't find that word earlier on in First Samuel, I think that probably what they were saying is, today the Lord said, thus saith the Lord, go and kill him. David knows it's not a word from the Lord. David is a New Testament man. If you live in the New Testament and you try and... He's, oh, do I have time to say this? Do you know the bit where... I'm off-piste here. Jesus... I'm always off-piste, aren't I? Um, Jesus and his disciples pass through Samaria. The Samaritans don't welcome them. The disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, the Boanerges, say, Lord, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? They're still in the Old Testament days... And Jesus, if you, if you look at it, it's, it's in the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus turned and rebuked them, is one version in Matthew or Mark. In another of the Synoptic Gospels, it's probably Luke, he says, and it's in a footnote, for you do not know what spirit you operate by, for the Son of Man came to save life, not to take it. Here's my thought. If you as a Christian live in the New Testament, but you operate by Old Testament principles, you're not operating by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? You're operating under another spirit. If your approach is, vengeance is mine, says Ewan, and you want to pin people with a spear and you want to cut their head off, I don't think you're operating by the Holy Spirit. I think you're operating by another spirit. I think that's what Jesus was saying in that passage in the New Testament about Samaria. Right, back onto my script before I completely confuse you. Okay. Seemed a good word, hey? But all words need testing. And all words reveal hearts, both of David's men and David himself. And that word came from their hearts, not God's hearts, 
And it certainly wasn't a word from David's heart. There are higher principles at stake. For him, for King David, who he was going to be, integrity. The principle of do you do it yourself or do you let God sort it out for you? There's another principle, I'll say a bit more about this as we get towards the end, about touching the Lord's anointed, those who God has set apart in some way. And there is the higher principle where God says, in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. People who follow God, people who follow his ways, people who love and follow Jesus, do it differently. The principles of the kingdom are mercy, kindness, forgiveness, and burning coals. This is not a soft touch. God is not a soft touch. It says in the New Testament in Hebrews, quoting the Old Testament, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is not soft and easy and a pushover, but he knows how to deal with things. David has other reasons for not touching the Lord's anointed. I'll cover that in a moment. But he understands that it is not his place to take revenge, but to leave room for God to act. Wowee, isn't this a hard thing? Now, here, we are not talking about our justice system. We are not talking about crime and remedial justice because there is a place for that and the laws of the land have to govern on things like that. We are talking about the things that happen to us when people hurt us, offend us. Isn't that a view? God, the press this week over Boris Johnson. I mean, and everyone, and you'll have varying opinions on this, but everybody's saying, he's offended me, he's offended me. He might have offended them, and he probably could have been better with his words, but we don't word it correctly. Nowadays, people should be saying, I have taken offence. Yeah? Do you realise the emphasis is all now? It's your fault because you offended me, but actually the biblical approach is whether you take offence or not, and that is a choice. So anyway, we're not talking about crime and remedial justice here, about how we act to those who have wronged us. And this is a really, really hard issue. You'll all have multiple things that are popping into your minds now. But it is really important. These are the principles of the kingdom. These are the things that make Christians different from everybody else. These are the, have to do with the principles of obeying Jesus, who conquered through the towel and not through the sword. I know this is hard for you. I can hear in my mind the things that are going through your mind at the moment and how you have been really grieved. But there comes a time when you have to be free. Whether Saul is free or not, David acts as a free man. These are key principles of obeying Jesus, spiritual health and emotional health. And they apply to us all at one stage or another. So what's the approach here? Oh gosh. See, this is why I pray at the start, Lord, may I not condemn myself by what I say, either because I'm just as useless or worse at it than anybody else. And what you don't want is to stand up, preach on something, and then the Lord say, let's see whether you really believe that, you in the next ten days. Doesn't the scripture say you should be really careful? Those of us who teach will be dealt with more harshly than anybody else. Please be kind to me, Lord. I know you will. What are the principles here? Firstly, try and see it from their perspective. Most people feel, probably wrongly, feel they have a reason for why they treated you like they did. It might just be because they are plain ignorant. Okay? 
But if they are, there are some very ignorant people around. And people who throw waste and rubbish out of their car outside my house and who text when they are phoning, oh, but they're just ignorant. His ignorance of the utmost is almost unforgivable. <laughs> almost. Try and see it from their perspective. Why they act like this. I am not justifying their actions. Neither are you. But maybe there is a scar or an Achilles heel or there is some strange life programming that went on. I mean, if somebody is protective of their kids, that is a way parents are programmed. If they hurt you because of their kids, you can understand why, can't you? Perhaps it's an issue to do with mental health. If you can see it from their perspective, it will help you to some degree. Secondly, though, forgive It's an act of the will. Take words with you and return with the Lord. In other words, use words. If you have to do it 70 times, 7 times. Now, actually, you could argue with me that in the Gospel, when Jesus spoke about forgiving, Simon Peter said to him, how many times must I forgive mine for when he sins against me? And in one version it says, Jesus says, 70 times, 7 times. If he comes back to you and asks for forgiveness... Forgive him 70 times 7. So, you could enter into a debate. Do you only forgive those who ask for forgiveness? I would say to you, don't go there. For your own health and your own well-being, 70 times 7, in your own room, in silence, when they're not around, I forgive you for what you did to me. Then the anger comes back again. You walk into the bathroom. I forgive you for what you did to me. Take words with you. Words have phenomenal power and can actually help you reprogram the way that you think. And you know what? God sees the way that you act, but he hears your words as well. So I would say for your own well-being, forgive. Or it may be you need to go to talk to them and actually say, I forgive you. As far as it depends on you, be right with them. If they won't have anything to do with it, there's not much you can do. Thirdly, let go and let God. And by this, I don't mean just let go and let it drift into the ether. I mean, let the Lord settle it. Okay? Only he fully understands and can act without bias. And he is no soft touch. It would be inappropriate, but I could give you two examples from the front of where God has dealt with people in an unbelievable way when somebody has prayed and handed that individual over to the Lord. I just can't tell you, but let me tell you, I really believe in this. I believe that God knows what he is doing. David has to do this again and again and forgive Saul. Sorry the reading was so long, but he is kind of good because there's Saul saying... David says to him, my father, why are you treating me this way? And Saul says, my son, my son, I'm sorry that I treated you this way and I forgive you and I'll never do it again. That's chapter 24. 25, you have David and Nabal and his wife Abigail. Chapter 26, Saul is pursuing David again and he does exactly the same thing. David has to do this again in chapter 26. Saul has not changed one iota. And sadly, my experience of people, particularly sometimes ignorant people, is they don't change. But your freedom cannot be in the hands of another ignorant or maybe ungodly or immature or scarred person. David is free. He has moved on. Saul hasn't. He's still in the same old habit pattern and so on. 
But David's freedom and future do not depend on Saul. So come chapter 26, he's willing to do it again because David is as free as a bird and he is outside the cage while Saul is still locked in it. We follow this approach because, and the Bible, if only for obedience sake and for our sake, you know. Looking now at time and saying what I should say. You're aware in Matthew chapter 18 about the parable of the unmerciful servant. I probably need to just explain this for those of us who are kind of new to this game. Long story short, Jesus tells a parable, he taught with parables, about a man who owed his boss the equivalent of £100,000 and his boss lets him off it. But that man was owed just a few pence by somebody else and he went to him and he throttled him and he said, give me my money back, you owe me five pence. And when the manager saw this, he said to the unmerciful servant, you know, you owe me your whole life and yet you wouldn't let this person off a few pence. And it says he threw him into prison. He handed him over to the tormentors. I can't remember the rest of it. So here's the principle about unforgiveness. You can end up in prison because of it. And surprisingly, it's God who allows you to stay in prison because he wants you to learn about the principle of forgiveness. So the way out of prison is forgiveness. And it is a really, 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 really big thing. I won't say any more about I was going to talk to you about captives as well, but we'll run out of time. Look at the result of David's heart and the result of his approach. Something happens in the spiritual realm. Verse 9, he is kind in chapter 24. He allows Saul to save face. He says to him, why do you listen when men say David is bent on killing you, when actually David knows that other men are not saying it. It is all a figment of Saul's imagination, but he allows him a way out and he allows him to save face. Such tact, he knew it was nothing to do with other men. He knew it was in Saul's mind. Verse 11, he humbled himself and he called Saul his father. A gentle tongue can break a bone, and it is true. Verse 16, Saul says, David, is that you, my son? You have treated me well, and I you badly. Saul feels remorse. Saul experiences burning coals. It's Romans 12, acted out a thousand years before it was written. Here we go, Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In the end, we yield to God's sovereignty, his understanding of all the facts, and his ability and his right to make things right. And chapter 25 is an example of that. When you get home, you can read about Nabal and Abigail. And as I say, I have seen this happen. I need to close. Why else doesn't David touch him? 
Firstly, because it reveals his heart, his heart to be king, him as a man after God's own heart, and secondly, because he reveres God. I mean, David really reveres God and realise that God in his holiness is not something to be trifled with, so you don't mess with the Lord's anointed. Verse 5, he goes and he cuts off the robe. As I say, this is stealth. And then he cuts off the corner of the robe. He is conscience-stricken. Hang on, David, aren't you overdoing it a bit? What? You could have killed the man. What are you conscience-stricken about? Have you heard of the condition called scrupulosity? It's now when they talk about mental health. It's the Christian who is so wants to be so pure in everything. They are scrubbing themselves all the time, over and over again. It's some form of spiritual unhealth, really. I'm thinking, David, have you got that over a little bit of cloth when you could have actually killed him? Uh-uh. He realises how serious it is to touch the Lord's anointed. He really believes God is holy. He is not to be trifled with. The ark of God is not to be played with and not to be touched. We'll have some sermons on that later on. Later on. He understands anointing and authority in a way that will make it appropriate for him to have it in just a few years' time. The best leaders understand the cost of anointing and authority and understand its source, that it comes from God, not from them. He's conscience-stricken because he touched God's anointed. That's much how much the corner matters to him. So what does this mean? You know, I could, and it has been done in years gone by. For those who've been around in the church for a long, long time, I'm the pastor, don't you say anything against me. And I'm always right, and I'm the Lord's anointed. Any of you around in the 70s and the 80s and the heavy shepherding movement, do you still bear the scars? And actually the soul you need to forgive might be your pastor from the 70s or 80s. If you're part of the Pentecostal movement in the 80s, you needed to receive your daily rebuke. People felt it was their right to just rebuke others all the time. And of course, you said, if that's a bit inappropriate, I'm the Lord's anointed. Ah, it's been abused, hasn't it? You see, I think that authority is given, it is not demanded. And the minute anybody starts standing up and saying, you've got to do what I say and you've got to obey and follow me, I can't help it. I run the opposite direction. Even if it's me who's saying it. Yeah? (laughs) I do, really. Much hurt and trouble has been caused over this, over the years. Nope. Leaders are just like the rest of us. I keep saying this. Have you read the press this week? Bill Hybels? You can't find out the truth from what's going on in the press. I've read it and I remember seeing him on the stage and the people that are speaking about there. I would just keep a very, I'd keep it to myself. I wouldn't believe anything in a hurry there. But leaders are just like the rest of us, human. And respect is given from people, not demanded. I've had people say that to me. You and I'm your apostle and you need to do what I say. I say, yeah, right. I have. But the other side of the coin that we need to understand and we need to understand in the way we do this in the Baptist church is God does appoint leaders. And they are human and they are broken, but ain't going to go anywhere without some leadership. We're just going to mill around in the light of God. You know what I mean? Rather than marching in the light of God. God appoints leaders, human ones. God appoints people, broken ones, like Saul. He was God's anointed. 
David was pretty broken and did some pretty daft things as well, but you know what? He knew how to deal with them, how to get forgiven. So the office and the responsibility of leadership in any context, I think, I'm not just talking about the church here wanting to big that up, is worthy of respect. The office is worthy of respect, even if the person isn't. So actually, I respect Donald Trump's office. (laughs) I do. And for everybody wants to be a leader until you actually are one, really, if you knew what it was like to be a leader in government or government of the church, you probably wouldn't want to do it nowadays. It is just getting tougher and tougher and tougher. So even if you don't agree with it, do you want to do it? No, I think not. Romans 13, verse 7, Give to everyone what you owe them. By this, I'm not trying to big Matt, Mig, Mai, and the leadership team up. I'm just trying to expound the word to you. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. That applies to our police force, our government, our governors, and those who lead us in any context. And one other thing to just close with and recognise like David did perhaps, that leadership is really, really important, churches end up looking like their pastors and their leaders. Not physically, but spiritually. Churches will only go as far as the leadership of the church wants it to go, even if the leadership is wrong. I've seen this over the years. You have a charismatic section in the church who want renewal, okay? but the leader or the leadership don't want it and it ends up in tears. Because God respects the leadership of the church, even if, as far as I'm concerned, with renewal and things of the Holy Spirit, they are wrong. But God's put an order and a structure in there. So when you're choosing your churches, I think it is right not to revere them or anyway, but look at where the leaders are at because the church will not go farther than the leadership of the church because even God will cap it to fit in with the structure and authority that he has made in the church. Amen. I've probably raised a lot of issues there that I don't have time to address. So let's pray. Lord, help us to take away this morning what is on your heart And what is on your agenda for us? As we think about the souls in our lives who have pursued us or hurt us or tried to kill us and maim us, show us how to deal with them and how to be free, even if two chapters later they're wanting to do the same thing all over again. As far as it depends on us, Lord, help us to live at peace with all people and be free, and leave you manoeuvre room to do what you want. Help us not to take matters into our own hands where it is not appropriate to do so. And so we ask you again this morning for grace and mercy to forgive one more time those who have hurt us, and go on forgiving them 70 times 7 until you settle it in the way that only you know how to do. Lord, we bow to your sovereignty and to your kindness and to your knowledge of all things. And Lord, with regard to anointing and leadership and not wanting to touch the Lord's anoint us, help us to be 
In a day where there has been the death of deference and the death of respect, help us to act like Christians and respect those who have authority in the workplace or legally or governmentally over us in any way. We all have it. I have people who are in authority over me. And as a church leader, I'm in one sense a leader over the congregation, but under the congregation and my leadership too. And it's a good system. Lord, help us to honour people and not be like the world that does not know the respect of office or how to pay taxes or how to give revenue because you have a structure that you have ordained in this world and we want to fit in with it and our society and our church and our lives to function well. So help us, Lord. Amen. Amen.